Well, we're in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're beginning this chapter anew. Let's read the, the first 11 verses. Colossians 1 through 11. Paul writes then, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Really good things here. Now, let me set the table. If you will remember last week, um, if you're reading from uh, if you're reading from the New Living Translation, I know the King James says this. The first word in this section in the King James is therefore, therefore, uh, since you have been raised. All right, and we know anytime you have that sort of thought that that connects us to the thought that came before, and it reminds you that the whole purpose of this book of Colossians is the correction of false teaching that has gone on in the church at Colossa. It has sort of come to a head where Paul has sort of enumerated some of those things in chapter 2, and now he's continuing with some thoughts that are tied to that thought. Now, the false teaching was this. You've got to do all the things that we were doing when we were Jewish people in order to be Christ followers. In order to be righteous, you've got to keep the feast days, you've got you to do all the Old Testament requirements, and you've got to trust in Jesus Nowhere is that false teaching clearly stated, but we get an idea of what it is because of what Paul said to correct it, okay? And he's continuing in that. So when he talks about setting your minds on things above, there are, I think, at least two applications. One, he wants to make sure that we're not trying to be righteous by doing the things that the law talked about. And I think he's also creating some some understanding of what it is to live in Christ and how believers are supposed to live. Uh, and you'll see that pretty clearly in the things that he talks about. So let's begin right with verse 1. He says, if then, you have been, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. As I said, the if then refers to the believer not being tied to the old law and its dependence on outward works of righteousness. And then Paul suggests this really interesting perhaps metaphorical, perhaps a literal thing. If then you have been raised with Christ, do you hear that there is both a question and a statement in that little half a sentence? If raises a question, if then you have been raised with Christ, he's making both a statement, it's in the form of a question, but it's, do you hear the statement in it? Look, you've been raised with Christ because you've been raised with Christ. Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ... There's some things. Now, what what does it mean that we have been raised with Christ? And he's going to go on and talk about a specific place we've been raised to. And we'll talk about that for in a moment. But I just want to dwell on this just for a couple of seconds. 
What does it mean to have been raised with Christ? Now, uh, this, I don't think this is intended to be real, uh, you know, well, it's talking about baptism. You've been raised out of the water. You've been raised to new life. I think there's a more literal, more practical application of this and understanding of this. And we're going to see it in this, but let me just cut to it. You're not the person you used to be. You, you, you've been made into something new. Say amen. You, you, you have let go of that old person who metaphorically died. But in a spiritual sense, that old person died. And I'm going to use a, this is in the Rhodes translation. Uh, of the, this is the Rhodes commentary. Quit dragging that old corpse around. All right. It stinks by now. All right. Uh, Paul is saying, look, we've been raised with Christ. You certainly see the connotation of Christ's resurrection, and because of what happened with him, we have the availability to be something in God that we never had before. You have the ability to be right with God. You have the ability to be a daughter or a son of God. You have the ability to overcome your flesh. You have the ability to claim promises as an heir of God, join heir with Jesus. All of that is incurred in that. But I just want you to sort of get your head around the fact that you're not the person you used to be. Uh, you, you should get used to the idea that Christ is forming something in you and it's going to change you. And it's going to get better and better and better. You're going to get, the longer you serve Christ, the attributes of Christ. And we're going to hear about the image that's being formed in you in a little bit. That's going to continue. You're, you're not static. Uh, I don't know who has served the Lord the longest here. Uh, some of you have been in church your whole life. I don't care how long you've been in, you're not done yet. The image of Christ is not fully revealed yet. You're going to continue to grow. You're going to continue to mature. You're going to continue to learn. You're going to continue to, to expand what you know. Why? Because you've been raised with Christ. So if you've got some things in you that any of you ever get tired of you, Paul, Paul said, look, you know, it's good to look in the mirror and realize who you really are. Don't, don't, don't not take stock of who you are. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Um, well, don't give up. God's still working. Uh, don't let the enemy bring condemnation because you are not perfected yet. Well, you're not ever going to be perfected, but do expect that there's a transformative process in your life, and that process is still going on. Amen? How many of you find it to be real comfortable, that transformative process? Oh, I just love it. It just makes me feel so good when the Holy Spirit convicts me about me. I really like it when he convicts you. I wish he'd leave me alone. All right? But that's all because you've been raised with Christ. Now, I just want you to, before we read into this, and we're going to see some things in here, I want you to think about what, I want you to think about two things. What are the possibilities of that? You've been raised with Christ. What? what just think of that as you've been raised from a death, a death, a kind of type of death, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. You're raised just like he was raised. Absolutely. Uh, and there's several sections of Scripture that talk about raised to newness. You know, you've come to newness of life. There's just good stuff in there. And I think you should expect some good stuff. Amen? So don't despair. God's not done working on you yet. You still lose your patience in traffic. Well, maybe you need to go ahead and, I don't know, take a bicycle or something. But anyway, God's still working, all right? If you then have been 
raised with Christ, then he says this. I just want you to see this first word, seek. Somebody, somebody give me another word that you could use right there that would mean the same thing. Or maybe a couple of words. Look toward, look for, try to find. Ready or not, here I come. All right, hide and seek deal. Pursue, you know, uh, chase after. Any of those would fit. It's exactly what Paul is saying. Since you have been raised with Christ. I think first you have to accept the fact that you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Now, let's finish this verse because the above needs to be identified. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What do we call the... Let me see if I can make this a little more practical and not so metaphorical. What do we call the place? What's the term? And I'm not looking for heaven, all right? What's the term that we use for the place where Christ is seated at the right end of the Father? Throne. Throne? Okay, it's not the one I was looking for, but... Jesus taught principles of the what of God over and over. Anybody know the word I'm, I'm kind of... Yeah, kingdom. Kingdom. Jesus over and over and said the kingdom of God is like... Kingdom of God is like a man going on a journey. Kingdom of God is like a man who brought his servants to him. Kingdom of God is like a man who found a, a treasure in a field. And he went and so over and over, Jesus used this. Where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, uh, at the right hand of God is in, in the kingdom of God. In the, in the, in, it is in heaven, if you try to find a geographical reference in there. So Jesus said, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let me, let me say this half a verse a little different. Seek the things that are a part of the kingdom of God rather than this kingdom. You're going to see, he's going to contrast. What are you seeking? Where's the source of the things that you're pursuing? Is it things from the kingdom of God or is it things from this fleshly kingdom? He says, because you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, there's, a, there's a, a really interesting thing that we're going to see in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to hold off on it because there's a really intriguing positional thing that is found here about where you and I are. And I don't think I have any, I don't, I think I've got a little bit of an idea of all the things that should be a part of my life because of this positional thing. But I, I don't, I don't think I've in any way fully appropriated all that's supposed to be ours. We'll get there in just a moment. Seated at the right hand of God. The right hand is the what? Somebody that seats on your right. Say it again. Authority. Authority, Responsibility. All of that. Yeah. The person on the king's right represents the king. That's that's all the authorities there. And that's Christ. Verse 2, he says this. Set your mind. So we went from seeking to setting our minds on. Set your minds on things that are above. So we were seeking things that are above. Now we're setting our minds on things that are above. Now, without reading anything else, how might we, come on now, I need everybody, everybody's got to participate. Give me something that you could have done or that you did do today to set your mind on things that are above. Somebody give me something that you did, and they don't all have to sound real spiritual, all right? Give me something that you did today or that you could have done. Jane, go ahead. Looked at the glory of God's creation. John? Well, 
Yeah, I acknowledge his lordship. Our Father who art in heaven, I'm, I'm acknowledging who you are. Somebody else, something that you could have done today to set your mind on things above. Wayne, R- read the word. Yeah, I opened the scriptures and took some of that in. I set my mind. Anybody else? Sing. You could have saw, sang songs. You could have entered into a, a worshipful attitude. Anything, all kinds. Watch this. I forgave someone. I was a servant to someone. I was, uh, I was generous. You know, uh, it, all, I, I, I picked up my clothes off the floor. Dick, I don't know why. I looked right at you when I said that. All right? All right? Yes, yeah. Carol, thank you, Pastor. He's setting his eyes. <laughs> Men, do that or you will be seating. Men, start doing that or you might be sitting next to Christ above. You know, all right? Listen, set your mind on things above. Now, before we read anything else, and we're going to see those, what are some things that we could do to set our mind on things below? In this, if above is the kingdom of God and below is the kingdom of the world, the flesh, the... All right, what are some things that we could have done to set our minds on things below? And I, you notice I didn't ask you things that you did today to set your... No, Pat? Think about your schedule. Yeah, I'm con- all right, my schedule. Worrying about the bills. Marion, worry about the bills, all right? Jane? Grumbling, complaining. Grumbling, complaining. Yep, anybody else? No, you don't want to act like you know anything about any of that, do you? I understand, all right? Uh, I was selfish. I thought only of me. Uh, instead of encouraging someone with my words, I discouraged them. I belittled them. I put me first. I, I was impatient. I was greedy. I was, yeah. You see, see what I mean? So now, I, I, I just want you to know that we are, we are rightly dividing God's word right now. That is what Paul's talking about. And, and let's remember, he said, since you have been raised with Christ, set your mind, seek things that are above, set your mind on things that are above. And then he, he goes on in verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on earth. Now, he's not saying don't have any concern about anything on this earth. You, Marion, you need to get those bills paid, all right? You need to, you see what I mean? You need to you know, you, there are going to be some things we have to be concerned about. He's not saying just only think about heaven. No, he's saying, remember, we're, we're talking about seeking and setting. There is this pursuit. There is this, where do you live? What are your values based upon? What's the priority of your life? How do you invest your life? What do you, how do you treat other people? How do you engage in life? That's the substance of what he's talking about, okay? He says, don't set your mind, don't fill your mind, don't dwell on only the things that are of this earth. There's another verse of scripture that you know very well. It says something about seeking something first. Seek first the what? Kingdom of God and his. And then all those earthly things will be added unto you. So this is really a statement of priorities and focus and what it is that you're living your life for. Paul is encouraging people, and let's keep it in the context. He's also talking about don't think that you can earn your righteousness by the things that you do that are all earthly. There's something more than that. There's the kingdom of God. There's faith. There's trust in Christ. He goes on in verse 3. 
A good question is why. He says, once again, for you have died. You've died. Now, here's that positional thing. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden. That's interesting, isn't it? Your life, you, you died. He said that. For you have died. That old man, that old woman died. And this new person that you are now, that person is hidden, watch this, with Christ in God. Let me, let me change the word for a minute. The, the, your, your life is hidden with Christ in the Father. Because it's the same inference there in that verse. Your life is hidden with Christ in the Father. Now, where is Jesus sitting? Right hand of the Father. Symbol of what, John? Authority. Privilege. Name-bearing. Rights. And this new life that you have is in Christ. You couldn't get there. You don't have any right to be there because you're Randy Copeland. That won't get you there. And you can't get there. Let's remember, too, that there were those trying to convince the Colossians that they could get there by their own works, keeping the law, doing the things that the law prescribed. Paul is saying, listen, you, you can't get there in your own righteousness, but you can get there. The only way is in Christ, through, hidden with Christ in the Father. There is this picture of an intimacy. Now, do you remember what the 15th chapter of John talks about? There's a word in the 15th chapter of John. No, 15th. If you something in me. I want to make sure. Somebody look up and make sure I'm telling you the right reference. It's John 15. I'm, I'm pretty certain. But look it up there, John. John, look up John for me, would you? All right. If you, yes, it is, Jane. If you abide where? In me. All right? And my word. Okay, now watch this. Lots of, lots of implications in this. Does this sound like pray a prayer and live like you want? It doesn't, does it? It sounds like live in him. Set your affections on him. Put your eyes on him. Seek him. You with, you with me? Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on him. Because this new life you have, you're not out doing this in your own strength. You are, you are with Christ, and Christ is in the Father. There is this old, what's called an icon. I wish I could remember the, the it's an old, old, old relic. And it's, um, there is this term, this Latin term that came, uh, came to be in the, I don't know, 17th, 18th century in, a, in an effort to try to describe the Trinity. And it was the, it's the Latin term that is, Greek is in it too, but it was a Latin term, perichoresis. It has the para and the chorus, choresis. And what's a chorus? A bunch of people singing in harmony together. 
uh, the, the, if, you, if, you, if you made a modern, uh, if you made a, the same word that chorus comes from, choreography comes from, same root word. And the perichoresis is this, is this uh, and there is this old ancient icon that, is, that was done way, way, way back, and it's a picture of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's one of the only pieces of old church art that I know and it shows the three of them in a circular formation instead of most of it, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, there's some linear lineup. This thing has them with circular movement. And the term has to do with this, and maybe you're not comfortable with it, but this dance, this fellowship of Father, Son, Spirit, intertwined, moving, working, one, then the other, then the other. It's, it's almost like a merry-go-round. You see one, you see the other, you know, they're all, and there is, it's this beautiful picture that I can't really describe, not the picture, but the concept of this, this fellowship dance of the Trinity being in, now, watch this, and they added you into the, you got it? Isn't that cool? Because you are with Christ in the Father. All right? And if that's true, I just want you to dwell for a minute on the implications of that. And that's what I meant with, I don't think I have a clue of what it really means to be heir of God, joint heir with Jesus, with Christ in the Father. But that's where you are, according to Paul. I think we ought to we ought to worship, don't you think? We ought to be thankful. And it, it ought to mean something. That, that ought to... I just want you to... I'm not going to give you a list. I just want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what that ought to mean to you, both in your privilege, just a second, Jane, and in your... And in your just in your... In, in, in your life, in the way you do life, in the way you, the way you engage in every part of it. It ought to, I'm not going to make a list. It's hard for me not to. It ought to affect your, no, no, no. You let the Holy Spirit. Jane, what were you going to say? Yeah. Jane said it's the, and Jane, I'll repeat it because people on the, on the thing can't hear you. She said it was like the ultimate place of peace. And that, I think that's, I think huge peace ought to be a part of it. That you're, you're just engaged in this, in this dance with the Father and the Spirit and the Son because you are hidden in Christ, with Christ, in God, in the Father. It, now remember, Paul is saying this in, in juxtaposition, in, in opposition to this works-based, law-based salvation but there are times when we've swung the pendulum towards the grace side and we've missed it. We've said, well, because it's not law, it's all grace. It really doesn't matter what you do. This thing that Paul is describing in this with Christ in the Father, there's no room for lascivious. That's an old, that's an old King James word, lasciviousness. John smiles anytime I use a King James word, all right? There's no room for that. Not, not because I'm constrained by some set of rules. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm in fellowship with the one who gave his life for me, and I'm hidden now 
in the Father? I don't want to violate that. Amen? I don't want to be something less than the privilege that I've been lifted to. And that's what Paul's saying. Because you have been raised, raised where? Raised into that. My goodness, that's good stuff right there. I'm so glad this is going being recorded somewhere. Because you've been raised. Man, I got the goosebumps, all right? <laughs> Pentecostal bump, excuse me. I mean, all right? Because you've been raised into that, everything. Now, it, it just redefines everything. Jane, go ahead. You had a question? It's not kind of like it is an addiction. Jane says once you're there, you're kind of drawn into that, and it's like an addiction. The Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is... Once you get there, and now watch this. That begins to make the Scripture mean something when it says that a person who has been in God and then walks away... Remember this Scripture? It's a very vivid Scripture. Who walks away from God is like a dog that returns to its vomit... I've, I've tasted and seen how good God is, but I'd rather drag that old corpse around a little longer. Got it? It's a, man, if we could ever, if we could ever live out the fullness of, of that fellowship, uh, we'd, we'd be doing all the witnessing we needed to be doing just in the life that we would live because of that, because of that fellowship. And... I think it would so sweeten us and so, so change who we are that, my goodness, it would just be, it'd be a sight to see. Amen? I think that's good. That's good right there. Colossians 3.3. Y'all need to write that down. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4 says this. When Christ who is your life, that makes sense. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You live in Christ. You abide in Christ. You, your life is constrained by Christ. You serve like Christ. You give like Christ. You speak. Why? Because that's, that's it's him and you. Well, we've already talked about, remember, earlier in this book, it, that, that Christ in you, the hope of glory, that was in chapter 1. That that's and now he speaks about it again. That that when Christ appears, when when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also are going to appear with him in glory. Yeah, <laughs> you've been living in him. You've been abiding in him. It's it, it sort of makes the question: If you lived there, do you think there'd ever be a question about? Well, do you really think you're saved? No. Are you kidding? Am I saved? Man, I'm living in him. I'm, I'm, I'm not only going to be saved, I'm saved now. This, my life, I mean, I'm, I'm living in the earnest of my inheritance right now. And uh, I don't know, just a lot of good stuff there. I like to, I could just sit and daydream on it, just think about all the things that, wouldn't it be really... And this is, this is such a third grade statement. Wouldn't it be really cool if you, if you had lived so in the presence of God? And I don't think this is really possible, but it's a neat thing to imagine. That you'd live so in the presence of God here that when you finally walk into his presence in heaven, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, good to be here. 
you know? Uh, I don't think that's possible. I think it's going to be so overwhelming to be fully in his presence. It's just going to, I think it is. But I think that's what Paul is talking about, that this life in him and the fullness of that and the glory that one day when he comes, you're going to appear with him. Why? Because you've always been with him. That's just what happens. Now, now Paul's going to turn the page. He's going to shift directions and he's going to make a list. I didn't make you one, but Paul's about to, all right? And he's going to talk about that other life. Uh, verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore. There, there is a, when you look at the original language here, this, this way of saying this in the English may not be the most accurate way because this sounds like the activity has yet to be done. Put to death, therefore. That sounds like something that you're going to do tomorrow. You with me? It's a future tense. There is, and there's pretty good debate in the, in the language here. If you're, you, some of you may be reading a translation that, that, is, that reads something more akin to because it's been put to death in you. You with me? I don't know if anybody's reading a translation that reads more like that. But, but one gives the indication of something that you're actively supposed to do and the other one gives the indication of something that's already been done. And there's a pretty good debate in, in commentaries and, and theological circles as to exactly how that phrase is supposed to be interpreted. Either way, the list is the list, all right? Put to death, therefore, or because it's been put to death in you, the earthly things in you, all right, that these are the things that you're supposed to stay away from. Now listen, and listen to this list and see, I want you to see the locale, see the location of these. Put to death, therefore, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. I'm going to stop that right there. Where, what, what's the location of all of those? You might know what I'm not talking about, like, like Collinsville. Yeah, your heart, your thoughts, your, they're all internal to you and me. You get it? So Paul is saying, look, these old parts of who you were, those have been put to death or you need to put them to death. Let's look at them again just to make sure that you understand what each one of them is. Um, sexual immorality. Um, several different words used in the scriptures. Um, the um, Several different words for sexual sin used in the Bible that oftentimes have the same Greek uh, middle, and they have different prefixes and suffixes that change the unlawful nature of it. Uh, what do we call the unlawful, uh, se- what's the English word for unlawful indulgence sexually with someone other than your spouse? What do we call that in English? That's adultery, all right? I'm not giving you the Greek, I'm not changing them, but, but they do change. What do we call unlawful sexual activity before marriage? Fornication. Uh, what do we call unlawful sexual activity uh, with your eyes? Or what do, we call the, what do we call the object of that stuff? Lust. Um, if, if we put it in picture form or on the internet pornography. All right. Now, the Greek word that is found in some of those is the Greek word pornea. Uh, and depending on, not all of those, but the, but unlawful indulgence with the eyes is pornea. Lust 
It's the word that we get lust from in the scriptures, and it's the word that pornography comes from. But what the Bible interprets it is, is, is unlawful indulgence with your eyes. If you look on a woman lustfully, Matthew 5, Jesus talks about, uh, that's the word there is pornea, lust, okay? Now, so when he says, when Paul says um, sexual immorality, it's a term that takes all of those into, into, into consideration. Don't be sexually immoral in any, any place in your life. Uh, don't, don't be engaged in sex outside of marriage, which is a really popular standard today, by the way. Uh, that's facetiousness. It's a terrible, uh, nobody thinks that that's a standard that we ought to live by. But we should, amen? L- let me say it out loud. You should not have sex before you're married. Somebody say amen, please, so that I don't, I don't get up and start <laughs> clearing the temple with a, with a whip here, all right? I don't know, I'm going to braid my mask, and, all right? Um, we should stay faithful to the one we've married, amen? We should, uh, we should not be engaged in unlawful sexual immorality with our eyes. We should, uh, I'm trying to think of any other, <laughs> so, all right? Uh, men forgive me for being this plain. Men should have sex with women and women should have sex with men. Those are all biblical precepts. It doesn't matter what the world says. And all of that falls into this, into this catchphrase of sexual immorality. All right. Let me, let me touch on something there. I'm, I'm working on a sermon series that we've backed up because I just don't think it's the right time yet. Um, the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin. Okay? It also teaches that gluttony is a sin, and that gossip is a sin, and that lying is a sin, and that adultery is a sin. But we don't really have as big a problem with any of those as we do with homosexuality. Now, I'm, I'm not dismissing it, but there, and it's not, and, and I'm not ever going to teach that it's not a sin. All right? But that doesn't mean I love all of you sinners. You love me? Then you love a sinner. And well to love the sinners that are practicing homosexuality as well. Amen? That doesn't mean that we endorse that and that we say it's not a sin, uh, regardless of what the societal trend is. But we ought to be able, as the church, say that in a way that, that still communicates the love of God and hopefully can can enable us to have enough room to have a relationship leading to a presentation of the genuine love of God. Amen? But you can't, you can't soft-sell what the Bible calls sin. Okay? Everybody say amen. amen. I just wanted to touch on that just for a second. He, he goes on. He, he, he starts general and he gets specific. Impurity. Um, impure thoughts. Uh, the scripture says whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good report, whatsoever things are true, if there be any goodness, and you know, think on these things. We're not supposed to be the people filling our minds with trash, and we're not supposed to be filling our lives with impure things. Amen? What, based on this scripture, use a phrase from these scriptures, somebody tell me why, because you've been what? Raised into that fellowship. And I can't bring that stuff in there. You got it? So those that would say it's about the church's rule, we've cheapened what this thing really is. 
It's not about that. Because if I hide and you don't catch me, you don't know if I'm breaking the rule. But that's not supposed to be the thing that holds me to the truth. Amen? My credential is not supposed to be the thing I fear losing. It's not supposed to be my credential that keeps me living a moral life. I'm supposed to, it's supposed to be that dance, that, that fellowship. That the, that's the thing that's with me all the time. John, you may not be watching. You with me? But, but he's there all the time. If I abide in him, I don't want to dwell on impure things. Right. Say amen. amen. All right. And that's our motivation. None of us live a perfect life in that regard, but that's what we're called to. And that's the thing that we're after. Um, passion. Now, uh, everybody's grown up in here. Um, I grab my wife passionately and kiss her every chance I can. Somebody say amen. We believe in that stuff. Amen. If you husbands aren't grabbing your wife every now and then and kissing them, you ought to, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, Danny. All right. All right. Say amen. God created sex. He was in a nifty mood that day. All right. Amen. Marion, I'm sorry. All right. Marion keeps telling me it's my job. Won't he do it? Good. He. Big he, not little he. All right. Um, but so that's not what that's talking about. It's talking about ungodly passions, passions that consume you and draw you away from God. Uh, do you understand that in history there have been those that have interpreted those kinds of things in Scripture to mean any sort of, any sort of passion between men and women is ungodly? That those people are out of their gourds, all right? Say amen. All right. Wives, if your husband hadn't grabbed you and kissed you, you can tell him, Pastor Roy said, you're, you're backsliding. <laughs> all right? Ladies, we have, we have several single ladies in the room. I'm sorry, I... I'm teaching the Bible here. I'm going to teach it like it says it, all right? Pastor, what, what word, my, uh, my translation doesn't have passion. Doesn't have passion? It has evil desire. Same thing. That's that word right there, yes. All right? No, evil desire is next. Passion is, what, what does yours have right before that? Lust. Lust. All right, that's, that's what's being separated, or what is being separated. Uh, that's the word that's being translated differently, okay? The next one is evil desire, which is the same sort of idea. Don't, don't, don't let those, all right? And then covetousness. Now, I stopped at covetousness. That, that means my brother's got one. I want it, okay? It doesn't mean you don't have dreams. It doesn't have, all right, I have a, I have a nice fishing boat. I want a bigger one. <laughs> but I don't want Tim Watson's bigger one. You with me? He's got one like I want, but I haven't decided to drown him in the river yet to get it. <laughs> Uh, covetousness, all right? So it's not, uh, you, you, you dream about owning a new car someday. That's not this, all right? This is when you want what someone else has. Scripture talks about coveting your neighbor's wife, okay? It doesn't, Marion, you can covet a husband. Just don't covet somebody else's. <laughs> Understand? That's the difference. That's what makes, that's the covetousness that is being spoken of. When you affix Laura... You may, uh, Laura's looking at me like, uh, not reading. Move it anyway. The Bible says, yeah. <laughs> All right. I just realized how many ladies without husbands we have in the room. 
a bunch, all right? We need some good single men in this church. I just, you know, <laughs> moving right on. All right, now, and watch this. I, I, if you remember, I said, let's, let's, let's think about where these things are. These are all internal desires that come out of who you are. Amen? Do you remember what Jesus said when he talked about when people were, and, and Paul went on about, about meat sacrifice to idols and those things? Um, remember that it wasn't what went into a person that defiled them. It was what? What came out. All right. That's what this is speaking to. What's in you? Who are you? What, what has consumed your thoughts, your life, your desires, your heart? Okay. And as part of this sermon series that I'm working on, the, the, the reason I think that Satan has so attacked sexuality in the world is that it is such a core piece of who we are. And if he perverts that, he can just control a person so, it's just so central to who they are. Um, all of those were internal desires. Now watch this. He's not just talking about one of these when he says, which is idolatry in the last part of verse 5. He's not just talking about covetousness. He's talking about that whole list. And he says, which are idolatry. Now, someone give me a layman's definition of idolatry. Anybody want to take a stab at it? How about this? Worship of a idol. Idolatry. Taking something that is not God. I'm not going to say man-made but something that is not God, and we would say worshiping it like you build a shrine around it. No, it doesn't have to be that. It's the thing that takes the place of God and becomes the target of your affection and your heart and your desire. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Pursue me. That's that whole, whole picture in the scripture. So these things that come out of us Let's read the list again. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness. Paul says those are idolatry. Why? Because they consume your wants, your passions, your, your heart, your energy, your, your, your dreams, your goals, your thoughts. And what's supposed... Remember the dance? You're not supposed to be in fellowship after those things. You're supposed to be in fellowship with the Father. He's supposed to be the object of your passion. He's supposed to be the target of your devotion. He's supposed to be the thing that you covet. What do I want more than anything? I want to know him better. All right? And, and Paul, that's what he's saying. Listen, and you're not made righteous, all right, by any of, these, any of these acts, all right? But don't swing the pendulum so far the other way that you become sexually immoral and all this. Stay in relationship with the Father. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty, that's pretty straight up. Because of these things, because of this focus of the heart, because of, and, and listen, he's, Paul is not saying, is, if you're not sexually immoral, you're okay. No, he's talking about the substance of people's hearts and things that have replaced the Father. And because He has been replaced, you pick your poison. When you replace the love of the Father with anything, 
work, family, money, reputation, name, ministry. You replace love for the Father and fellowship with Him with any of that, it becomes an idol, and you incur the wrath of God. Now, that's pretty, pretty straight-up language, isn't it? I can hear the crickets in here right now. It's pretty quiet, all right? <laughs> On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Let me try to hear it hurry, because if we don't, we're not going to make it through verse 11. In these, you too once walked. Now, Paul's flipping the page again. Listen, you know what these things are, he says. You used to live in this. This is how you walk. This is what you were before. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, that's what you were. But now, you're something different. Amen? But now, you must put them all away. Now he's going to give you another list. Anger wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. We'll stop right there for a second. So, no anger, no wrath, no malice, no slander, no obscene talk, and don't lie. Now, where are all of those? We know where they come from, but where do they all happen? Yeah, there are things... There are things out here. First, we talked about how you feel, what's going on inside you. And now we're talking about how you're acting. All right? And now he's talking about, so Paul has dealt with the whole of your life. This isn't just about what you do. Listen, I, I didn't talk bad to Pat, but I'd like to drown her in the river inside, you know. All right. Anybody wants to do that to Pat, it's just wrong. That's why I picked on you, Pat. Nobody can imagine that. If I said Dick, there'd be a few in the room say, yeah, I can kind of understand why he'd want to drown Dick. <laughs> Carol's thought about drowning him. You know, like, uh, what was it, Ruth Graham said? Ruth Lott Graham said, I've never thought about divorce, but I've thought about killing Billy a few times. <laughs> All right, so Paul begins by dealing with the, with the passions, with the internal part of a person. And then he talks about how we relate to the world. And he says, listen, let go of anger. There is a godly anger, all right? Be angry and... All right? But that's not what Paul's talking Paul's not talking about a righteous indignation here because the name of the Lord's been... All right? We got a lot of people angry right now in the world. And they're not angry about the things of God. Some are angry about the things of God. Injustice being done, that's not what this is talking about. There's a place for anger. A lot of things don't get done until you get angry. Right? That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about unjust. This is talking about things that are centered on me. You you didn't do what I wanted, so I'm angry. It, just just think about think about the fellowship with the Father and the things that are appropriate that come out of that. You anything that you can stay in fellowship with the Father and project out of that is fine. But you can't have unjust anger come out of that. That's about you. That's selfish. That's that's narcissistic. That's about what you want, not what the Father wants. Amen? 
See, I want you to say, I want you to see that we're not milk toast. Oh, I'm just happy. Uh, you know, you, you burn the church down, but we're not going to be angry about it. It's fine. No, I'm going to be angry. All right. I'm just going to try not to sin. And I might slip over into sin if you burn the church down. All right. He says, but put away anger and wrath. Wrath speaks to vengeance. You did me wrong. I'm going to get you back. All right. Any of y'all had somebody in your life that you wanted to pour a little wrath on? Little, little, little uh, transparency here. Uh, all of you know my mom. I, I didn't have a relationship with my mom for a long time. And my goodness, there was a lot of, lot of years where I was just, I, I didn't, I had a little wrath. And I didn't mind if she incurred it. All right? That's not there anymore. But, because you can't be in fellowship with the Lord and, and do that, okay? Malice. Malice is that I'm planning to do you bad. I'm thinking about it, okay? I've heard enough stories of divorce. <laughs> Most divorces got some malice in them, all right? And we'll get him before he gets me. And we'll get her before she gets me. I'm going to have a better attorney than she does, all right? I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things, but you got to let go of malice. Can't dance with Jesus and be in malice. Slander. Slander is when the wrath and the malice come out of your mouth. Okay? You got to let it go. And obscene talk. That means just what you think it means. Don't talk like the world. I really don't get the... I have never been a cursor even when I wasn't a Christian. It's just the dumbest thing ever. It just makes people feel so, I don't know. When I hear people that curse a lot, I think, you're just dumb. You don't, you don't have enough vocabulary to find better words than those. And, and forgive me, but the use of the F word today is like, I just want to take a bar of soap everywhere I go. Come here, let me wash. Didn't you, ain't you got any raising at all? Didn't you have a grandma? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, I did. Um, I, don't, I don't get it. You can't, listen, you can't dance with the Lord and talk like the world. Say amen. There's a sermon coming out of this somewhere. You can't dance with the world and whatever, all right? You got to get rid of those things. Don't lie. You can't, you can't be a liar and, and be in the Lord. Say amen. That was kind of weak. You can't be a liar and be in the Lord. Say amen. amen. Some of you felt like you're hedging your bets for me there, all right? All right? Men, when your wife asks you if you bought something, you got to tell her. You mean, Dick's like, you mean, you mean everything? <laughs> yes. All right? Don't lie. Why? Because you have put off the old self with its practices. You've been raised to something better. You got it? Verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, watch this, after the image of its creator. You're becoming more like Jesus. If you're not, something's wrong with you. You're not in the word. You need to, you need to engage in 
in, in the process. You need to let the Lord bring newness of life to you. I don't care if you're 100 years old. If you're still breathing, you're still being transformed. Into what? Into the image of your creator. And in this case, this is the father. This is Jesus. Come on, and you know the attributes. He's loving. He's kind. He's patient. He's fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Come on, you with me? That's, that's, that's what's supposed to be showing up. And if you're not getting more of that... You need to get engaged in circle discipleship, small circle. Make a, make a plug for that right now. You need, to, you need to join Pastor Roy's Bible reading club and start reading the scriptures every day. Um, I, I'm, I'm preaching to the Wednesday night group. Come on. I need to preach this on Sunday morning. That's the group that needs to hear this. If you showed up here on Wednesday night, you love Jesus, all right? Somebody out there in the, this is not for any of you. It's for somebody on that Zoom call right now. This is good stuff either way. Amen? We're being renewed. Now watch this. I like this, I like this phrase, which is being renewed in knowledge. You're being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We've talked about several times the scriptures that speak about, and, and Paul did in Colossians, and in 1 John we saw it a lot, about the benefit of the knowledge of Christ. You, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a useless, it's a useless profession to say, I want to know God better and not be a student of his word. You're going to have to increase what you know about him to become more like him. The fuel, the raw materials, the building blocks of the image of God in you, the building blocks of that are God's word. And it's the Holy Spirit that takes that word and builds that up in you. So if you've got, listen, if you've got a, if you've got a short temper, go to the word. If, you, if you're stingy and you want to be more generous, go to the word. All right? If you're, if you're, if I'm, I'm speaking to whoever. If you're in a tough marriage and you need to learn how to persevere, don't, don't, talk, to your, don't talk to your buddies at, the, at work or your friends at the, ladies at the, I want to say hair salon, but that's so stereotypical, all right? That's not, that's not the source. That's not going to get you the newness you need. Go to the Word. Go to His Word and let Him renew you. There are some things that, you know, if, you, if you're working for a terrible boss like Sue is, all right, go to the Word. Amen? If you, if you, if you're holding on to retirement because you're working in the worst plant in the world, I'm not saying that the plant's certainly going to suddenly going to change. But if you need strength to endure, it's not social media where you're going to find that. Go to the Word. That's where you get renewed. That's where you gain the knowledge of Christ, and that's where that new self is renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. You learn more about Him. You'll become more like Him. But you can't do that if you're not going to take in the raw materials of the Word. Everybody say amen. amen. Verse 11, and then he, he sort of shifts gears again and gives us one more little tidbit. He says, here in that, in that arena, in that, in that dance, in this newness, in this renewal, in the kingdom, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now this... This does have application to our world, but this is a statement right back to Paul's argument with the false teachers. Listen, 
He's saying to them, it doesn't matter if you follow the way of the Jewish practices, because in Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, makes no difference. Whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised, you know that that's commentary on Jewish or un-Jewish, all right? Barbarian, Scythian, slave, he covers it all free, because if you're in Christ, you're all that you need. Amen? And so, I don't know, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 11 has got some pretty good stuff in it, doesn't it? Any comments, any questions? Lord, set my feet on higher ground than I have found. Lord, plant my feet. That's not an old hymn. That's a new song, Carol. That's a new song. Yeah, and, that, and, and if you don't know what plane is speaking, he's, spoken about, he's talking about levels. Lord, draw me up to a closer level, to a higher level in you. And that's exactly right. Jane Rowden, were you going to say something? Yeah, well, I say, Jane said you could have knowledge of him through his word and have it confirmed through experiential knowledge. Jane, the way that I say that over and over is that the word is made alive by the spirit because the spirit is experiential, all right? If you, if you want to feel God, that's the Holy Spirit. If you want to, and, and it's the, I say it all the time, it's the, it's the synergy of those two together. It's the Holy Spirit, but it's not just the Holy Spirit, and it's the Word, but it's not just the Word. Why? Because the letter of the law kills. If you, I mean, I've known some people that knew the Word back and forth, and they were mean as snakes, all right? And I've known some people that didn't know anything of the Word, and boy, they were Holy Spirit pe- people, and they were flaky as a bowl of grape nuts, all right? You with me? It's when you put those two together that you come to a place of spiritual maturity, you take the word in and its solidity and the absolute nature of it and you experience God and the Holy Spirit makes that word come alive in you and now, now you can get up on a higher plane. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's been a great night tonight. Thank you for the illuminating of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, we just pray that we would live in it, not just talk about it. That's useless. I don't want to just talk about you, Father. I want to know you And I want to deepen my understanding of you so that I can be more like you in this world that so desperately needs it. Bless each one of these and those that were on the call tonight. Fill them with the knowledge of you and let that knowledge create the image of their creator, which is you, Lord, until we all stand before you. We'll give you praise for all of this in Jesus' name.